have you been in the last two weeks? I've been very good, yeah. In and out of the country as always. It's been a very long time since we've recorded one of these. And you know what I've come to realise since we've been away? That there is much love for the rank cast, but especially there are two things people actually love us for. One, biscuit analogies about our defenders. Two... Talk about Taylor Swift. That's yeah. it. No, no, no actual talk about football. People were like, right, when are you doing the next Musocast? <laughs> I liked it when someone said, I like, I like their podcast, it's good. But as soon as they start talking about Wayne Rooney, you might as well turn off because it turns into complete drivel or something. That was good. That was good too, yeah. It was accurate as well. So, you know. So, yeah, so, so, <laughs> deeply. De- well, <laughs> there you go. So, Rooney. Hate, hate, <laughs> bit more hate. hate he was really hate. good. He scored I, some goals for England. Oh, a goal. He, thought he played really well. Like that run he did for England to get the penalty. Two runs in three games with the football at his feet. Wayne Rooney, whatever next. Not sure what comes next, but Danny Welbeck was the star of the show, wasn't he? Not Wayne Rooney. Two goals for the Manchester, I'm um, sorry, scratch that, Arsenal forward. Yeah, and uh, we're coming up against Danny next week, which is gonna be super weird at the weekend but anyway we'll come on to that since we last recorded Manchester United have played a game of football but I didn't see it and I don't think you did either have you had a chance to catch any highlights I uh, know only only the goal and then a few bits and pieces I was out of the country and, and very very busy so it's unusual not to find a way to at least download the game afterwards and, and go watch it but no it, a weird one where we were both extremely busy and unable to watch the football which which hasn't happened very often no and afterwards i was like right shall i download this and watch it and i just like read a bunch of stuff about it and it sounded like united passed the ball around for 70 minutes and then juan mata scored so i thought really all i need to see of this is the bit where juan mata scores that was nice wasn't it lovely and i think he would have come on as i said against city if we hadn't had a player sent off i think he is an asset coming on in game like that and he, he did kind of open Crystal Palace up and it looked like things changed quite a lot in the dynamic uh, for United because there was a, another really good chance where Mata hit the post and then Van Persie weirdly skied it over and fell over and all that stuff. I mean, the Wan Mata debate rages on, so in the meantime, talk about uh, Mata potentially going back to Spain. Valencia, uh, apparently interested, United prepared to offload him. I, who knows whether this is true, but it would seem strange to get rid of two talented playmakers in less than six months. Uh, also talk of Ander Herrera leaving already. So what's going on with all this weird speculation nonsense? That was brilliant. There's a story in the Daily Express. It's like, yeah, uh, Ander Herrera has flopped at Manchester United. And like by, by flopped, do you mean been like probably our best player for a lot of this season? Because that's definitely my read of the situation. Um, Herrera's absence from the first team is pretty easy to explain, I think. He had a broken rib and then he when he was kind of recovering from that, Fellaini did really well and then we had a couple of big games in a row and, you know, Van Gaal was trying to get this new, more solid system in place. As he said himself, he feels like he's changed the system too much and he's struggling to find the balance between uh, the kind of free-flowing attacking system that he was playing where he was banged loads of goals in and this kind of new, more functional version of Van Gaal's United. I wonder how long that'll last for. Not much longer, I suspect. Yeah, we'll see. Well, actually, United end up, will end up changing the system again against Arsenal, I suspect. Uh, we'll, we'll, let's let's do a proper preview in a bit. But I, I guess the, the big takeaway from the international break uh, is that United have more injuries. Who, who'd have thunk it? It's unbelievable, isn't it? So since we last spoke, Carrick has gone down with a groin injury. 
David De Gea dislocated his finger and Daily Blink, depending on who you listen to, hurt his knee or like ruptured his medial ligaments and is out for the season, according to Neil Custis from The Sun. I heard he was on his deathbed and he's probably only got weeks to live. Or well, maybe not. Yeah, uh, lots, lots of rumour until he has a, a proper scan we won't know. So uh, it doesn't seem like the De Gea injury is that bad, although you know, any finger coming out of his joint means that he's going to have to heal. So there's talk of him being out for four weeks. We'll see whether that's actually true. Carrick, well, he's got to be super frustrated, hasn't he? So only just back after that uh, ankle injury uh, that kind of happened in pre-season. Uh, and he's got another injury already. And just, to, you know, you'd think with Blint out, Carrick would be the ideal man to come back into central midfield. Now United have no central defenders and no central midfielders, at least of the defensive kind. Yeah, it's a real problem. It's really interesting that our defensive curse, our defensive injury curse has become so powerful that you only have to play like 30 minutes at centre-back for United before you get injured. Because neither Blint, well... Carrick was injured beforehand, but shh, ignore that for the moment. But Blind didn't get injured until he played centre-back. Carrick wouldn't have got re-injured, I'm convinced, if he hadn't played uh, half a game at centre-back for United. It is ridiculous. So we don't have a single defender on the books that hasn't missed a game through injury or suspension this season, right? Mm. Nobody that's played anyway, I'm pretty sure. Well, so if you if you look at um, uh, there was a good piece by Samuel Luckhurst today. I think uh, if you look at the number, can I just guess? Did it say Alex Ferguson's terrible? I hate everything about Manchester United. No, 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 no. It was uh, it was Johnny Evans, Chris Smalling, and uh, Phil Jones are terrible, and they never played for you. No, no. Uh, no, he 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 was just doing the number. So uh, something like forty four of the of the hundred and eighty games uh, that United have played since Phil Jones joined or Smalling and Jones joined, um, have they all been available, right? So it's just a stat to prove that they're just never available because they're always injured. So those three, it's not a surprise they've been injured this season, though Smalling will be available for the Arsenal game. Brain-dead Smalling, that is. Oh, so harsh. Ah, but fair. He will be available. Uh, you'd wonder what the balance is because, of course, um, Van Hal likes to play one left-footed and one right-footed. The other player is Patrick Manair, who's done everything right every time he's played, and Tyler Blackett, who's not featured for a while. But apart from that, everyone's getting injured. Shaw should be available, but it looks like Raphael's got another injury. Will he play? He uh, didn't play against Crystal Palace, of course. So, um, you know... It's like you can roll some dice and up comes an injury. So I, I was uh, looking at it. 39 separate injuries to United players this season, about half of which are, are kind of impact-related injuries. So, you know, knocks of some kind, and that's um, unfortunate. And there's not a lot you can do about it, uh, unless you're Phil Jones flying into tackles all the time. But about half are, are hamstring, muscle, and related strains and stuff. And you've got to wonder at some point whether there's something they're doing uh, in Van Hal's famously intense system of training that is causing all these problems. Not enough periodization, isn't it? Yeah, well, apparently, yeah. I, I never really understood what that meant, but uh, Vahayan likes to say that one all the time. He does, and he was not, not shy about linking to his tweets predicting that there would be a series of muscular injuries uh, amongst the Holland squad and the United squad. He was also very fulsome in his praise of Van Gaal's management in other areas, which I thought was interesting. There's been a lot 
really in the last couple of weeks because it's been international break and nothing's been going on there's been so many like opinion pieces and stuff about oh there's no difference between United under Van Gaal and United under Moyes and I just want to take everyone and like rub their face in that physio room list of injuries it's like do you think where do you think David Moyes would have been if he'd had an injury like this list like this to deal with the idea that you could pass any kind of significant judgment on the results Van Gaal's managed to to attain through these injuries is ridiculous. The one area, as you said, of, of that's question mark has to be a question mark is how much of this is to do with training. Yeah, uh, I've no idea. Uh, so it's, it's pure speculation on my uh, part. But you know, once you once you like start looking at the list of injuries, a lot of them do seem to, and and how many have happened in training rather than games. You do have to at least ask that question, don't you? So, but it's going to change United's thinking again. I mean, Van Hal said recently that he he admits there have been too many changes and he's changed around the system a lot. And a lot of that, of course, is to do with Van Hal just trying to work out what's best for United and what's going to work with his players. And uh, he's prepared to change things, whereas Moyes uh, was most certainly not prepared to change things. Um, that is a big difference. But but a lot of it's. To, just to do with injuries and, and Van Hal having to you know swap players around and swap systems to fit that it's almost certain that with the Arsenal game that United will have to change again because I, I just don't know how you play the sort of flat four across the middle with no defensive midfielders it's uh, you know so just asking for trouble basically so um, he'll change again United will flip around the system and depending what happens on that game and and uh, when players come back after injury, or change the system again for the the game the week afterwards. You know, none of it's none of it's very good. At some point, it's got to settle down, and at some point, you have to go. Well, what do we change here uh, in order to to stop getting injuries? Are we just going to claim it's it's horrendous bad luck and leave it at that, or does something have to change in order to stop at least the training ground injuries? Yeah, absolutely, and it's it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that. He's a pretty smart guy, and he's not shy about changing things if he doesn't think they're working so you'd think at some point he'll he'll try and do something about it but I think the fact that he has tinkered so much with the system has been reactive right there's not there's really not much else he could have done because he's had to try and squeeze an 11 out of a, a very injury hit squad and I kind of had a little crack at an 11 this is slightly worst case scenario um in terms of fitness but I think we might be looking at Lindegaard, Valencia, Blackett, McNair, Shaw, uh, sort of maybe Herrera and Fellaini, and then Rooney, Mata, Di Maria and Van Persie up front. That's pretty unbalanced, isn't it? Yeah, I, I suspect we'll play three through the middle. So um, whatever the back four is, it's it's really only one choice. It depends on Phil Jones as well, because there's a small chance he'll be back, although, you know, obviously not in full condition. Um, so assumption around the back four and then um, I wonder whether he might not go to three in the middle and play Fellaini Herrera and Di Maria through the middle and then then some combination of three up front which would which would be something like Rooney plus Van Persie plus one other you know it's not the balance he's looking for it's going to be a big question around how United play defensively definitely a problem I think and we know that Fellaini is not a defensive midfielder but it's 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 going to be like this for a while, and we I mean, are we sure that Herrera is ready as well? I mean, he's had another two weeks off to get ready. They've apparently been putting foul cow through. 
intensive uh, fitness training. <laughs> so he'll have injured something, some muscle injury or another. Well, yeah. The Arsenal game comes around. Um, obviously, United have been briefing the papers that his knee is not a problem, which, uh, you know, been a lot of speculation to the contrary, of course. So a big piece in the Telegraph yesterday about Falcao's knee and they're not worried about it. It's just his... It's just his fitness fitness and conditioning that they're worried about. So, you know, every time we talk about there being some some something bright coming over the horizon, another player gets injured, don't they? So it's uh, it's definitely the story of the season so far. It is. And, you know, I, I've been relentlessly optimistic about our chances of qualifying for the Champions League because... But, but the blind injury, I'll tell you, the blind injury made me start to really think, what do we do now because Blint is such an important player in in his versatility and in his quality I know this is something we don't necessarily agree on but you know he seems like a, a player we really really can't afford to be injured like all the players that we can't afford to be injured have been injured at some point this season and when do we start picking up points because if it doesn't start really 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 soon I mean, right now, Arsenal are one point ahead of us. If we beat them, that is absolutely massive for our season, I think. Those are those are three enormous points because that's a six-point swing, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And, and, you know, United are hugely fortunate in a way that, that neither Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool or Everton have been able to find any consistency either. I mean, you know, the reality is that United are two points off the Champions League and two of those four sides in the Champions League places are Southampton and West Ham and Swansea are fifth, right? So it tells you the level of consistency from the, the top teams apart from uh, Chelsea and City this season. Even City haven't been that consistent. So, you know, it, it points, and we've had this kind of on-off debate, haven't we? It points to a lower points total being okay for fourth. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see whether that's the case because, of course, you know, you've got that many teams inconsistent. You'd kind of say two of them are going to put a, together a run. It might have to be that United have to put together a run in order to get into that fourth spot. But Van Gaal's very lucky because uh, if Liverpool and Everton and Tottenham and Arsenal had been more consistent, United might be some way away from the Champions League uh, places and there'd be more question marks about United's strategy, whether uh, it's injury-related or not. So, you know, it's very fortunate, but still... At some point, United are going to have to put together a string of results. It's never happened at this, you know, up to this point in the season. And at some point, United are going to have to have a fully fit squad. You know, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you would think it seems likely that at some point it maybe not fully fit, but you know, we'll have at least eleven fit players, and that'll be uh, that'll be something. There's been a lot of talk inevitably because it's November now, middle of November, so thoughts turn to. The thoughts of a young man turned to the transfer window and there's been a ton of speculation and we've essentially been linked with everyone. There's some big, really splashy ones. We were linked pretty strongly with PK, which seems like, I don't know, I know he's out of favour there, but that seems... Imagine signing PK in January. It seems like a long shot, doesn't it? It seems unlikely to me. Yeah. And then uh, a swap deal for David De Gea and Gareth Bale. And as uh, at you and Lennart on Twitter said, do you really want to swap one of your legs to have a third arm? <laughs> that was quite a good analogy. Um, but yeah, so uh, would you swap David De Gea for Gareth Bale, Ed? Without, without cash passing hands as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably, yeah. I mean, you know... Uh, player who uh, scores that many goals and is that destructive of course uh, because you want him of course that is total nonsense I love how the paper's always like don't, don't you love a swap deal story yeah when does it <laughs> ever happen 
It literally has never happened in human history. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was the whole, um, well, then the William Gallus, Ashley Cole one years ago and, and five million. Um, but I can't remember another one. They No, they are a figment of the imagination of the newspapers. It's like, oh, that team needs that sort of player and that team needs that sort of player. Although how they've come to the conclusion that we need that sort of player for it's beyond me. But anyway, yeah, presumably uh, we're not going to see any particularly high profile transfers in January. Uh, and we'll probably sign a defender or two of the mid-ranked variety, right? I can't see any other yes uh, unlikely to be Matt Hummel um, speculation this week that uh, United would have to pay 47 million pounds which would be an awful lot of money for a central defender especially one talented though he is and he is a massive talent I, I do rate him as one of the very best in Europe but uh, he's uh, constantly injured which is of course absolutely what we need perfect oh, for United uh, Amaric Laporte heavily linked with us but as, you know the thing is we're not the only team that needs a central defender and although we're Man United and so we assume we're a massive draw and apparently we're now operating at a different sort of pay scale than we've been operating at previously but Arsenal desperately need a central defender Liverpool are not exactly tearing up trees defensively you know so there's there's going to be a lot of competition for what central defenders are available. Very true, yes. And and there is always stiff competition for the very best. And, and obviously uh, the uh, in the January window, window is hard because people have Champions League commitments and, and all that kind of stuff, except for United, of course, so it doesn't matter. Cup ties, being cup ties, not a problem for us. Woohoo! So look, what, um, we kind of glazed over the international window. Uh, did you see much of it? Uh, enjoy any of the football? Yeah, I saw 65 minutes of England against Slovenia, which the first 65 minutes too, so like really made a bad decision. I saw it up to Rooney's penalty ah. and then left. Yes, so you missed a good bit. Yeah, ish. Well, I don't really like seeing Danny Welbeck score goals anymore, so kind of glad I missed it really. Danny Welbeck, 13 in 31 games. Of course, he's barely ever started up front for England either. So we've got 10 this season, five for Arsenal and five for England. So not a bad return for Welbeck. I mean, he's not he's not exactly pulling up trees, but he's doing okay, isn't he? I mean, yeah. And he fits into Arsenal's system very well and all that sort of thing, as, as we kind of knew that he would. Uh, but lots and lots of unfounded, I mean, not unfounded, but unconfirmed rumours about some of Danny Welbeck's off-the-pitch activities which have slightly taken the shine off my, uh, you know, blinded love for Danny Welbeck. Yeah, go on then. Go on, go on, go and fill us in. No, no, I'm, I, you just, you know, just Google Danny Welbeck rumours, I suppose, is the best way to deal with that. It sounds like that's a high quality source you've got there, Paul. As I said, unconfirmed sources. Uh, elsewhere in international football, Robin van Persie scored for the Netherlands in the same game that... Uh, Daley Blint got injured, so uh, Holland scored six against Latvia. Uh, they seem to be doing all right. No World Cup hangover there. Well, except they've been absolutely, absolutely totally, utterly yeah. rubbish until that game. So um, they may be finally waking up. For, maybe Latvia is a good uh, World Cup hangover cure, basically. Yeah, the funny thing is, actually, United didn't have that many players playing international football this week. So uh, Fellaini tried to decapitate Joe Allen. Yeah, uh, Fellaini tries to decapitate somebody. In any game that he plays, Wales got a very creditable draw there with Belgium, didn't they? 
you wouldn't expect Wales to qualify for the European Championships but I think they did very well away to Belgium and get a point I don't think United had too many other players playing none, none of the Spaniards play Juan Mata wasn't in the squad and David De Gea was injured I'm sorry to interrupt you Ed but I think you would definitely expect Wales to be in with a very good chance of qualifying for the European Championships because two and a half teams go through from each group and Wales are so currently top of their group aren't they so I think there's there's absolutely every chance talking about Gareth Bale being a super destructive player they've got the best Welsh team I can remember I think so let's have a bet on it okay 50p each way no no each way each way (laughs) (laughs) no uh, that's about the level of my betting normally Uh, I don't think Wales will qualify but all right um, um, a a gentleman's wager no no money needs to change hands but I I certainly would take the other side of that very good all right uh any other United players in international football this week? Can you think of any? Yeah, Angel Di Maria. Um, Aha. He's, of course, playing uh, for Argentina versus Portugal on Tuesday night at Old Trafford. Are you going? Uh, no, I'm not because I, I'm a far away red and spending 40 quid to go and see an international friendly. You know, they sold like a pathetic number of tickets. I think they were kind of slightly blinded by the Messi versus Ronaldo draw and didn't... Yeah, they priced it too high. 35 quid is the cheapest ticket. It's too much. Yeah, 20 quid. They'd definitely fill it, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Very short-sighted there. Um, The other thing that came out, one of the other things that came out of International Week, you you said that United have been spinning, that there's no problem with Falcao's knee. Not just United, though, because Jose Peckerman, also the Colombia manager, also was very forthright about Falcao and said there really is no problem with his knee and his fitness is really improving. That is one thing that I am still very optimistic about, is Falcao. I don't think he's finished. That's... uh, not my take, and I think it's quite understandable that he picked up a sort of muscle injury from essentially a combination of suddenly coming back to playing all the time uh, and just the level of kind of pressure and anxiety and all that stuff that surrounds all that, you know. I, I think it's perfectly acceptable as a as a, as a a reason for him picking up injuries, as long as it's not that knee again and, and mm. everyone's saying it's not. Of course, uh, Gerardo Martino, the um, former Barcelona, now Argentina manager, said that United have ruined Di Maria's form. I'm paraphrasing there, but they <laughs> said he's not playing very well, essentially. So I, I did a bunch of stuff looking at the stats for Di Maria's performances, and the massive drop-off. So there's a website called Who Scored, and they do a bunch of statistical analysis, and they give people a rating. And it it's not a universally accurate rating, I wouldn't say, for a level of performance. But it is a very helpful guide. So it's one of them things where if there's a one or two point swing, normally that actually you would sort of back that up with your own eyes, if you know what I mean. Because it analyses key passes and accuracy of crosses and defensive contribution. But it kind of, I think it heavily skews assists and goals, gives a lot of points for those things, which kind of makes it somewhat not that useful. But his who scored rating has dropped by almost a full point since the West Brom game, uh, on average, since the West Brom game, when he was sort of switched out wide um, and... I think it's partly his positioning, but I also think it's to do with the way United's system has changed and the fact that there's a lot less fluidity in midfield. And, you know, he did make his biggest impact breaking with the ball from midfield, didn't he? Yeah, uh, so the positional change hasn't helped him, for sure. But, uh, yeah, um, more speculation this week that, well, A, that uh, either Real Madrid might like to have him back or that Paris Saint-Germain might like to have him back or that he would have actually joined PSG if uh, they'd paid him enough money. Uh, so all positive stuff there to go with his uh, terrible form for United. Paul Scholes saying he doesn't think Angel Di Maria has that same happy look that he used to. And I was like, 
Jeez, Paul. First of all, you don't have the same happy look that you used to have. But also, like, Angel de Maria has looked really, really happy a lot of times at United. And yeah, his form's slightly dipped, but he's still got two assists in the last four games. And, you know... Uh, produced more key passes across that time than the rest of the United side or any other United player. You know, it's not like he's completely fallen apart. And I think reading those uh, quotes, as many people have done, as being basically saying he wishes he'd gone to Paris, I think that's very far-fetched. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's got to make a contract at United, so um, he's not going anywhere just now, although, you know, who knows with United these days. Um, elsewhere in international football, um, not much happened. Germany only just beat Gibraltar, which was a lot of people talking about whether the Germans would rack up an international record win, which would have been uh, 31-0. And uh, Gibraltar came out with a 4-0 loss. Pretty creditable for a uh, tiny little nation. Yeah, not bad at all. Yeah. And then, while we're on international football, let's talk FIFA. (laughs) Yeah, so I've hardly followed this. I'll tell you what I know about it, because it won't take very long, and then you can explain what's really happened. But as far as I understand it, FIFA did an investigation into FIFA and found FIFA not guilty of anything. Is that right? Not only that, Paul. I mean, you missed the really crucial bit here. FIFA not only found themselves not guilty... Uh, but in the summary report, praised themselves for uh, an, ext- <laughs> an excellent bidding process and praised Sepp Blatter's leadership as well. It's, uh, it's North Korean-esque, this stuff. There, are, really there are no American tanks in Baghdad at the moment. So, so basically what happens is um, the American lawyer um, uh, asked to look into the bidding process after a, a couple of now-named whistleblowers had leaked stuff to the press, uh, produces more than 400 pages of evidence uh, from all the bid teams, including England, and there's some very lurid headlines about the English FA's role in the bidding process. Australia, the Qataris, uh, who else bid? The USA, Russia, and then the summary report, which is about 40 pages long, basically whitewashes the whole thing and says there's no problem with the Russian or Qatari bid. And by the way, England went to extraordinary lengths to uh, court favour with um, the FIFA exec co-representative from Trinidad and Tobago and, and so on. So, Oh, Jack Warner by Jack any Jack Warner by any chance, the man uh, that we already know was bribed millions of pounds by the Qataris. Of course... It not being an official of the Qatari FA, the uh, FIFA have basically said, well, not our problem, Gov. Uh, it just happens to be that some random Qatari with uh, very strong links to the Qatari royal family uh, paid Jet Warner $1.2 million. Just, you know, just just because he liked him. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, so, it, I mean, it's a massive whitewash, clearly. And Garcia, the US investigator, has come out and said it's not representative of the evidence I found. uh, And uh, he's calling for transparency in the full report to be published. We've got a couple of the whistleblowers now have been named in the papers because the summary report basically said who they were. It didn't say their names, but said what positions they held (laughs) within what organisations. Interesting, that one. So they've been named and they've complained about that. Garcia has complained to FIFA about FIFA's whitewashing, so I think we know where that one's going to go. And Greg Dyke has apparently written to every exec co-member saying, uh, you really need to look at this, (laughs) which reminded me, and I uh, might show my age, of uh, that Red Dwarf episode where the the polymorph uh, sucks out all their personality and uh, listeners go, we're going to hit him, we're going to hit him with a really hard leaflet campaign. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Meanwhile, David... 
David? David Gill is trying to get, he's going more European, you see, because he's trying to get a gig. David Gill. Uh, David or Gill is uh, trying to get a, a gig with UEFA because presumably all this sounds really appealing if you're a football executive. Because you're like, if I can get into this business, I am going to have such a good time. Well, he's already in. He, the, the Galluminati haven't gone away, you know. I think at some point something's going to happen. I think FIFA have gone essentially... I think we are in decline of the Roman Empire territory with FIFA. They are essentially just having crazed orgies the whole time, right? When they're supposed to be. Yeah, but they're selling extremely expensive tickets to watch Rome burn. <laughs> so uh, they're making piles and piles of money while doing yeah, it. Yeah, it's know? kind of a shame in a way that the last World Cup wasn't absolutely terrible. Because we could really do with a really bad World Cup because people are easy, easily distracted by the shiny business of football. Yeah, look, the only thing that will ever encourage FIFA to become more transparent, and it's probably the most opaque business on the planet, isn't it, is sponsors uh, forcing their hand. But at the moment, it doesn't tarnish sponsors enough, right? Because there isn't any smoking gun. So none of the sponsors are forcing FIFA to change. And so everything has been extremely superficial, uh, and they can go about their business in the way they like, which is basically to to whitewash all the problems and uh, and point the finger at the conspiracy of the English media. Uh, if MasterCard were interested in ethics, they wouldn't be MasterCard, right? So it's like sponsors don't care about the actual ethics. They only care about perception, apart from a very, you know, in terms of big corporate sponsors, the essence of big corporations is unethical. So it's, no, they don't care about that stuff, right? The, the other thing that could happen is FAs pulling out of FIFA and countries big countries not competing in world cups and all that kind of stuff you know yeah it seems a very long shot i mean look frankly there would be more change if set blatter was caught banging his 18 year old secretary because there'd be more of a scandal than there is about financial corruption because no one really understands what goes on and there's just enough of it obfuscated to to make sure that uh, no one can say yep you definitely took the money you know so we know that warner definitely took the money that's not in doubt the thing is, the guy who paid him the money wasn't employed by the Qatari FA, so it's all right, Gav. It's a, a great big mess. And talking of great big mess, should we do a couple of rank cast questions? Let's do it. At Rich Savile says, I think this is a great question. If you could sign one superhero to play in a Man United defence, who would it be? I think it would probably be the Flash um, because, uh, you know, obviously... He's very pacey, but he's so pacey, he could run fast enough to essentially slow down time and take the ball off anyone. So I think the Flash is the definitive answer. Shout out to Batman, because whatever the situation is, Batman gets the job done. Superman might seem like a natural choice, but there's absolutely no way he won't fall and break his neck on some kryptonite if he plays in the Man United defence. That's just inevitably going to happen. It's not my area of expertise. Uh, What's that chap that's made out of bricks? (laughs) The thing. Yeah, yeah, that one, because he's the complete opposite to any United player. (laughs) <laughs> we sort of had him as we had Nemanja Vidic for all those years there's quite a lot of crossover between the two of them I, I quite like this question this is a big question so for a minute to think about this one but how do you see United progressing over the next three seasons asks at United Rude uh, Rude as in Van Nistelrooy rather than uh, impoliteness year one year two year three and which current players will be key so I think assuming he sticks around Di Maria will obviously be key I think Maybe perhaps slightly unfortunately, but I think inevitably Wayne Rooney's going to be key to the whole thing because he's clearly a, a key part of the plan. And I'm still really hoping that Herrera will be key. And 
you know, I had initially assumed we'll get in the Champions League this season, win the league next season and win the Champions League the season after. That was Louis' plan, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I don't know how that's looking at the moment, but it's maybe a long shot, but it could still happen. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I think it, we're a very long way from that. And there's clearly some revision in the squad that needs to happen. There's a few, uh, not that many, but a few older players need to go. There's uh, there's some wastage of underperforming players needs to happen too. Uh, and I'm afraid a big decision needs to be made around some of those defenders who can never stay fit. So there's no point having talented defenders that never play because they're injured all the time. So I think a big call will be made next summer around the futures of Evans, Jones and Smalling. Uh, I'm not sure any of them will be at the club uh, if they don't get themselves fit between uh, now and then, they're, they're all out of contract in 2016, of course. Question marks around Antonio Valencia and Ashley Young, of course. Van Persie doesn't look like he's getting any uh, younger, does he? So I wonder how long he'll last at United. Will he be key by year three? Not sure. And, and Wayne Rooney, well, you know, he always looks like he's approaching burnout. So he hasn't quite got to that point yet. He's always just on the cusp of it, isn't he? You know, so we'll see. So that's all... That's all the players who you don't think will be key. Who do you think will be key? Well, we'll see. We'll see how uh, Herrera and Blint develop. I, I suspect the really key players in the next three years are yet to come. Di Maria, obviously, if he's if he's around, he's you know he's obviously very high quality. Let's see how Adnan Yanazai uh, matures because even matures his natural talent uh, takes him anywhere in the game, doesn't it? And it doesn't look like Juan Mata will be key to United. He hasn't done it yet. You know, it doesn't appear to be a an obvious favourite of uh, Van Hal, and and I think Shaw will turn out to be a world-class fullback. You know, I have absolutely no doubt he's going to be, uh, if not the best, but very close to the best left-back in the world. Uh, at Phil Gat asks, could United's defenders be faking injury so they don't have to face Danny Welbeck on Saturday? Very good shout. Maybe that is what this whole thing's about. Seems unlikely since they've been faking it for three years and they probably didn't have the foresight to realise that Welbeck would would uh, be cruelly sold to the Emirates. Um, at Hannah May J says, if you rebuilt Old Trafford on Minecraft, what would you change? It's in reference to the fact that me and some friends are building a massive football stadium in Minecraft because that's a super cool grown-up thing to do. What do you mean we're massive nerds? I don't know what you're talking about. I think I might move the tunnel. I've always thought it was a bit weird that the tunnel comes out of the kind of corner rather than the middle of one of the stands. Well, well it didn't used to, did it, of course? you know, It's only, it only when they rebuilt the Stretford End that it shifted. Yeah, so I think I'd put the tunnel back where it used to be. It, it's it's right, isn't it? It should come out of the middle. Yeah. What would you? What else would you change about Old Trafford? Well, the, wonky, the wonkiness of it. So, you know, the massive north stand and the, the single-tier south stand doesn't seem quite right. So, you know, you want to build up the south stand and the railway line goes behind it, so it's impossible, but um, to give it a more even bowl-like feel. I quite like the fact, though, that when you're in the, the Sir Alex stand looking out, if you're high enough up, you can see lovely landscapes and stuff in the background. So when the f- football's boring... Or Stratford over the, <laughs> yeah, over the back of the south stand, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I've been once in the tier three of the north stand and I'll never do it again because you get this kind of weird postage box view of the football, which is just really odd and uncomfortable. So, um, of course, the thing I'd really like to see at Old Trafford, really, really like to see at Old Trafford is standing again. And there's, you know, this on-off debate for many, many years about safe standing and rail seats and whether it would come back. And I'm sure United would be in favour because, of course, you'd be able to get uh, more people into the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. That would be totally awesome. And I I think we might see it in our lifetimes, that one. Uh, You know, I, I... maybe by the time we're too old to stand in it 
which I feel like I might be approaching anyway, but, you know, I think that could definitely happen. Uh, At Mark Hoopner, talking of things that have changed, says, uh, should carrier pigeons be brought back into postal fashion as lots of them don't have jobs? It's a really good point. What do unemployed carrier pigeons do all day? Maybe they could uh, be used as some sort of muscle injury repair thing as fly around people. I don't know what I'm talking about. This has got silly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bit silly. I mean, there's pigeon fanciers, right? I think that's the correct term for these people who uh, look after the birds. Yeah, I think you're right. They, they... Any birds you fancy, Paul? <laughs> no, I'm good, thanks. Um, at Ollie Stanley 99 says, does Di Maria need a central role to excel like in the diamond? I don't think Angel Di Maria needs a central role to excel. He's excelled plenty of times in his career from a wide position, right? But I think given everything that's going on at United, he's probably better off with a central role because when you're a winger, you're inherently more reliant on other players, aren't you? You you need movement and you need service in a way that you don't when you're playing in central midfield because you can do a lot of that yourself. Well, yeah, I think right now um, it looks like he performs better in that kind of central midfield role and, and drive driving forward from there. I, I wouldn't want to play him at the tip of the diamond. I've always thought that was a kind of nonsense argument uh, simply because he's left-footed and some people say, let's play him in the Robin role, quote-unquote. Oh, no, I think that, that, that this was like the diamond where he yeah. was playing on no, the no, left of the diamond. Fair enough, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, either way... Um, Let's hope we get a better performance out of him uh, on Saturday at Arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into a discussion about that game, we've got a, a, a competition. So we have listeners all over the world, but of course the largest concentration of our listeners are in the Manchester area. So th- this is more relevant than, to them than it will be to people further afield, unless you want to travel, but travel is not included in this competition prize. Uh, there's a new restaurant uh, opened up called The Cellar Key, which is in uh, Bar- Moor Road in Chilton, and apparently very nice, according to the person that set this competition, who is the owner of the restaurant. So, you know, it's going to say that, but very generously giving away uh, a dinner for two plus fizz. I don't drink, but I think pe- there are people that know what fizz is, right? Yeah, so uh, very kindly giving that away to to a Rankcast listener. And the question that you have to answer, which eagle-eared Rankcast listeners may remember, has actually been discussed on the podcast once before, but it was a long time ago. So I don't know how many people remember it. But, okay, you have got to tell us... But in the years that Andy the Wine Guy, at Andy the Wine Guy, who's who's the restaurateur behind this, was working as a waiter, he worked with lots of United players, and based on a £100 bill, which of these five people gave the biggest tip and which of them gave the smallest tip? So the people you get to choose from are Robin Van Persie, Wayne Rooney, Patrice Evra, Chris Smalling and David Gill. And the on a £100 bill, the biggest tipper gave 50 quid and the smallest tipper gave five pounds on a £100 bill despite being a professional footballer. Oh, oh. I don't know the answer to this one. But I reckon it's Patrice Evra. He gave the biggest tip. Uh, well... Well, uh, I'm not giving any clues. Ed is obviously excluded from the competition. Um, but yeah, oh, this is come on. <laughs> a, a meal for two. Um, not to say Ed's got the right answer there, by the way. But yeah, uh, so just hit me up on Twitter at UTD Rankcast. Or if you listen to the show but don't use Twitter, you can drop us an email to cast at unitedrant.co.uk and entries are valid up to kickoff in the Arsenal game, let's say. Very good. Yeah, well, funny when you, we're talking about competitions, it's like buses, you know, we haven't had one for a while and we've got a whole bunch so uh, i will be running a competition on the website 
to win a couple of t-shirts from the Art of Football, very nicely donated. They're actually some very nice original designs. So one of Eric Cantona, and uh, that's first prize. Uh, and second prize is a t-shirt of uh, Wayne Rooney's overhead against Manchester City. I, I can't remember that. Was that before or after you tried to get a transfer to Manchester City? <laughs> believe it was after. <laughs> yeah, so a um, couple of t-shirts there. Look out on the website for that competition. We'll update you next week. We've also got an awesome competition coming up next week for one of my favourite prizes we've ever given away. Something I really want myself. So yeah, get your answers in for the restaurant quiz. Just tweet me or drop us an email to cast at unitedrun.co.uk with the biggest tip and the smallest tipper and you can win a meal for two plus fizz at the uh, the new restaurant in Chalton, the cellar key there you go so will it be a celebratory meal after a victory over the old enemy one of the old enemies that wasn't really an aren't really an enemy anymore arsenal i was doing some research and uh, united's aggregate score against arsenal over the last 10 fixtures is 26 to United. You might think, okay, that's heavily skewed by the 8-2, but uh, nine of those are league fixtures and we're winning 25 in points in that time. We haven't lost to Arsenal since 2011. The time before that they beat us was 2008. So uh, working that out every three years, it's now 2014, we're due a loss. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, sounds sounds like a good one. Of course, Arsenal went away to Swansea uh, before the international break and managed to blow it and winning and uh, two late goals gave the Swans a win. And of course, you know, a lot of people thought Swansea would go down after um, the sort of change in management and uh, a few players leaving and stuff like that. But they've they've done very well this season. Fine victory over Arsenal last time. So which Arsenal will turn up? Uh, you know, no idea. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the thing about that Swansea game that made it even more unforgivable from Arsenal's point of view is they did exactly what they'd done against Anderlecht, which is not tried to solidify at all when they were when they were winning. And, you know, there's a lot of tactical analysis which shows them just absolutely ploughing forward with no regard whatsoever for the counter-attack when they're winning 1-0 really late in the game. And it's like, OK, yeah, it's not good to just shut up shop at 1-0 like Arsenal used to do, older listeners may remember. But on the other hand, to completely throw caution to the wind after getting that humiliating comeback from Anderlecht, who basically said after the match, which was wicked, basically, yeah, it's Arsenal, isn't it? When asked about their strategy. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know which Arsenal turns up for this one. They've had mixed results over the last few weeks. Obviously, that, that draw with Anderlecht and uh, the win against Burnley and uh, the win over Sunderland uh, in the North East. So, uh, but then that weird draw with Hull just before that. So, you know, how, how I can't I can't tell you exactly which Arsenal side will turn up. They are inconsistent this season. I'm not sure they fixed any of their major problems. So, centre of defence uh, they still have this kind of soft underbelly Koscielny hasn't played uh, that often this season has he Mertesacker uh, looks like he gets slower by the week I didn't think it was possible uh, he may even be going backwards he's that slow and and in the centre of the park they still do not have that steel obviously Wilshire the great white hope uh, is injured uh, as often he's as he's not injured and they've got all these you know very very talented technical players in forward positions that don't always perform so <laughs> so basically you've just described man united apart from the reference to jack wilshire yeah well quite you know we, all our players are injured more often than not 
So it's uh, it, it's a hard one to call. Um, United do have a very good record against Arsenal, but they had a good record during the Ferguson era because Ferguson knew the way to play against Arsenal and United go, did go out there very, very frequently to try and beat them up a bit and hit them on the break. You know, And you wonder whether... Uh, United uh, with this Louis van Gaal side with the players that are missing will do that or in fact can really do that can we really soak up pressure and try and hit Arsenal on the break it's such a good question and and one of the you mentioned that Ferguson had this amazing record Arsenal were of course the only team that finished above United last season that Moyes managed to beat at home uh, and they didn't beat Moyes United either because they drew at the Emirates in I mean, God, do you remember that game? That was absolutely abysmal, that fixture. Um, it was the worst of Moyes against the worst of Wenger, that game. Yeah, it's if we were in any kind of form, I'd be super confident about this one because Arsenal have been really inconsistent. And Alexis Sanchez, like, talk about a player that doesn't look like he's in a happy mood. He's just looking around going, what the heck have I signed up for here, you know? I used to play with Leo Messi. Kind of, there's some parallels between Sanchez and Di Maria, I think, um, in this particular game. But yeah, they've got all manner of capacity to cause United problems, but we've definitely got all manner of capacity to cause them problems too. And the one thing you know is that we'll be more direct than them. That's pretty certain. Yeah, it's pretty certain. Is The really inter- interesting question tactically, I think, is, is whether United play with width or not, because Arsenal have been playing very, very narrow. And uh, even with Sanchez, I mean, he just cuts in. He's a he's a you know, goal scoring inside forward, isn't he? So um, I don't expect Arsenal to play with loads of width. I think they will play, you know, much to a similar pattern as always. So do United try and exploit that by by shifting the ball wide or trying even up the numbers in central midfield and play with the diamond? So it's it's a really big question for United. Uh, and then the other big question is front foot or back foot, uh, because. Uh, with the injury problems, it's it's quite hard for United to actually play a containing game, uh, especially if they've got a couple of inexperienced uh, young players in central defence. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I, it doesn't play to our strengths, does it, in the way that it might have done under Ferguson to play counter-attacking football against Arsenal. We do have the capacity to rough them up. is going to be playing. So, you know, he'll be chucking some elbows around, won't he? You just don't know. And it, it feels like whoever wins this game is going to get such a lift from it. And it's two teams with really similar problems facing each other at an absolutely key turning point of the season. And, and I I just think it's, it's not quite a must-win game for United, but a, a loss would be pretty serious I think at this point and I hope Rankhouse listeners will know I'm not necessarily given to hyperbole early in the season um, but actually I think if we lost this it would be fairly disastrous really. Well yeah although the worst case scenario is that United are you know sort of six points off the Champions League so um, it, nothing's decided by this game. Um, interesting one with Flaney because he definitely will play but you know intuitively this is the worst kind of game for him because uh, it's the ball moving quickly around central midfield and uh, you know mobility is not his strong point so we'll see how much he's actually able to get into the, that kind of game. He's definitely been playing better hasn't he? He's taking more responsibility but um i think this is uh, probably the the most difficult sort of game for for Marouane, but he's going to have to play because united just do not unless unless we're calling up anderson he's apparently still alive but uh it seems unlikely that he's going to play so um, i'm sure that Fellaini will what's more likely anderson in the midfield or a recall for manchester united ambassador ji sung park to play in midfield 
Yeah, well, quite. Right, so uh, we have no idea what's going to happen in that game, as is evident, but we're still going to do the thing we do at the end of the rank cast every week and make a prediction. I'm going to predict a 3-1 win to Manchester United. I, I was going to go with 3-0, but I reckon Danny Welbeck is inevitably going to score in this game. No, I, I th- I'm going to predict a draw. I'm going to say one all. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's inevitable Welbeck scores. Yeah, totally. Uh, and he will. And then uh, uh, United will get an equaliser. I, I, I have faith. Uh, of course, one interesting aspect of this game is that Arsenal have the game against Borussia Dortmund uh, in the week afterwards now suckers stupid idiots get qualifying for the Champions yeah, League yeah I know Pua, who are I doubting that sort of thing yeah I, I don't know how much it'll factor into it because obviously you know we've had the international break I mean a lot of Arsenal players played in that, uh, the international window of course but um, and Arsenal are not in a bad situation in the group they've got a five point gap to Anderlecht so you'd expect them to qualify even if they lost but you know it might be playing on their mind and whereas United of course don't have that, that game coming up afterwards yeah, absolutely. In fact, United's next two fixtures, I think, is Hull City and Stoke City at home. So, um, those... couple of six pointers there. <laughs> absolutely. Um, all right. So, uh, a vital game for Van Gaal's United. Uh, the rank cast has been all over the place release schedule wise, but I don't see any particularly good reason why we're not going to be able to get out some podcasts with a bit more regularity over the coming yeah. weeks. Yeah, travel, travel um, schedule shouldn't be as, as hectic. And, uh, and um, you know, I, I actually can't remember how many times United are playing on Sunday, but we'll aim for a Monday every week. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to the whole game, so that might be a problem. But that is a rank cast administration problem that you, the listeners, don't need to be a part of. So if you do want to get in touch with us between now and the next show, you can get me on Twitter at UTD Rankcast, and you can get Ed on Twitter at United Rant. You can get us both at unitedrant.co.uk and you can read my stuff on the Bleach Report if you want to. So, yeah, until same time-ish next week, have a lovely week and uh, here's to a United win.